Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well as we wrap up our series in August. I want to start with a little show and tell. This is a, um, obviously a uh, seashell. That's hard to say, show and tell, she-shell. Anyways, um, this sits on my desk. And this sits on right by my desk, right by a picture of my grandfather. My grandparents used to, when they uh, would go on vacations, would collect seashells on the shores. Back then it was legal. Um, you could do that. It's not legal now, so in case you're wondering, you can't carry shores, uh, seashells from all over the world back with you. But back then it was legal, so this is not a black market shell, just letting you know. But it reminds me of not only of their story, but of all my grandparents and of the good moments I had with them. And when I see this, it reminds me of both sides of the family, getting to, to play games or laughter, and it's just a, a good, good marker for um, my memory. My neighbor, a uh, little preschool young lady, obviously she, listened, she lives with some older people, recently went to Michigan, and she brought back a stone very similar to this. It's not this one. That one's back at my house. And she brought that back for me because she wanted to share her adventure with me, which was kind of cool. And so I got to see uh, Lainey's uh, rock, and so that sits in my house now. And it's a reminder of not only her, but that she thought about me on vacation, which was kind of cool. In our life, we have markers. We have memories, we have moments that we take them. And today, I want to kind of make a comparison because I think we have good moments, and the good moments in our life I'm going to refer to as, as seashell moments. The, the vacation moments, the uh, son or daughter is born, the marriage, the baptism, the, uh, the birthday candles. These are good marker moments that we can celebrate, and they're beautiful and wonderful. But you know, sometimes we have stone moments. Moments in our life that show God's faithfulness even when it's difficult, even in the struggle. We're going to measure those markers today as we continue to, uh, through our story of Exodus. We're actually going to wrap up the Exodus story today. And here's the point of the Exodus series. History is really his story. But it also covers our story. And we far too often think of ourselves only in our time. But when we look at the bigger picture, we continue to see a dignified yet broken creation in desperate need of a faithful God. Why? Because we still have our difficult moments that we need to lean into God. So Exodus shows us that God has always and always will have a rescue plan in mind. So today we're wrapping up the Exodus story, of course, very appropriately in the book of Joshua. You may not realize that the Exodus story wraps up in the book of Joshua. So feel free to turn there. But before you even read there, I want to kind of cover the chronology of Exodus. We started with Moses' being born. And we started that because that was a very uh, a miraculous moment, if you really think about it. Moses was supposed to be dead, but God delivered him. So Moses grows up, and then he grows up in Pharaoh's household, but he betrays the Egyptians by killing an Egyptian because he identified with the Israeli people. And in doing so, he then fleed. Then Moses encounters the burning bush after a while and his calling. And so this leads him to confront Pharaoh and the ten plagues, you know. This is where he shows up and he says, let my people go on behalf of God. And the Israelites eventually get to leave through great trials and great struggle. They get to leave Egypt not just as free, but victorious. 
That was a very important point that Jordan pointed out that day. Israel got to leave victorious. But even though they left victorious, the Egyptians began to change their mind, and they began to pursue after the Israelites. And this is where we finished last week. God parted the Red Seas. Looking back, they saw the Egyptians coming. Looking forward, they saw an impossible river to cross. And God parted the Red Seas, and they walked across dry land. Now, before we get to the story we we're going to read this week, there's a few other things you need to understand in the chronology of Exodus. After they cross the Red Sea, they get the Ten Commandments. They've just crossed the Red Sea, they get the Ten Commandments. Life should be good, right? No. They then rebel. They start doing their things. And so then God has them wander for an entire generation, for 40 years. They wandered in the desert. And then Joshua eventually leads the people into the promised land in the story of Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 5 through 6. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests, Carry the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead of them, people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. The Ark of the Covenant there was representative of the very Spirit and the presence of God. So the Spirit of God is going to go before them as they cross into the Promised Land. But before they were to cross into the Promised Land, they were to consecrate themselves. Okay, what does that mean? Consecrate means to make yourself right. I originally was wrestling with this because I thought about the idea of repentance, but consecrate doesn't necessarily mean to repent because when you're consecrating yourself, you're actually doing more like a check engine. You're doing a, a look into to see if you're actually walking with God as you think you're walk, walking with God. Are you walking with God? Let's do a really gut check moment because if this is our story, just like it was the Egyptian stories, then the God who did the miracles of the Old Testament can still do miracles today. And the, the difficult struggles of your life, whatever is behind you may feel like it's going to attack you, whatever before you, before you may seem too daunting, but God has a way. But the way involves us following His Spirit. So are you ready to consecrate yourself, to look deep within and ask yourself, am I walking with God? Because we can fool ourselves into thinking we're walking with God, can't we? Right? Right? It's the idea of, well, God is for me so I can do whatever I want. How do you know if you're actually walking with God? Well, let me give you a few pointers. If you only think about walking with God when you're in church, you're probably not really walking with God. If you only think about God once or twice a week at best, then you're probably not walking with God. And I think there's a danger in the church. We made church so uh, come as you are, and believe me, I love that. But as you come as you are, God doesn't want you just to stay where you are. He wants you to be drawn into His presence. Here's the real key. When we are consecrated, we're brought into an understanding that God is going to lead us into a better life, the promised land. But the promised land is not a big screen TV, although I'd love a bigger one. The promised land is not, I get to retire early and live my life like I want to. No boss, woohoo! The promised land is not 
oh, everybody in my family always gets along. No, the promised land is his presence. This is the foreshadowing of what is to come generation after generation after generation. This is the foreshadowing of Jesus coming and living for us. This is the foreshadowing of the next life. And so when God looks down on us, the ultimate promised land we get is to have an eternity with God in heaven where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more struggles. There will be no more trials. There will be no more obstacles in our path. Isn't that great? But in eternity, the point of eternity isn't, despite what the old song says, of having a big, big house where we could play football. It's not the unlimited buffet. Although, I don't know, there may be food, I don't know. It's not unlimited cake and ice cream with no calories in it, right? The ultimate point of heaven is getting to spend eternity with the one we were made to be an eternal relationship with. The promised land is his presence. So a just God asks us to consecrate ourselves and says, is this really what you want to be in my presence or would you rather stay in the wilderness? Are you willing to go through the struggles and the trials to go through whatever is in the path are you willing to trust me, to lean into me, to look up and to lean in? Are you willing to go wherever I say go? Because there you will find me, and there you will find the peace and the fruits of the Spirit, right? The gentleness, the kindness, the faithfulness. And I think sometimes we come to God thinking that we want God, but we want God for selfish reasons instead of wanting God for just who He is the creator of this universe who lovingly knit you together and made you exactly the way that you are so that you could live with him. Oh, and we're in our own bondage. That's called sin. And the reason that we have struggles in this world is either because of your sin or the sin of others or the sin of Adam and Eve. But God wants to deliver us when we lean into him. It's not always a quick fix, right? The Israelites wandered for 40 years. And then they got told, consecrate. Make sure you want what's coming next, because tomorrow the Spirit moves. Joshua 3, 5 through 6, once again, consecrate yourselves. Really, ultimately, what this is talking about, in order to move forward, we need to align ourselves with God's character and purposes. So, how you doing? Is life about Him? Or are you using Him for you? Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to just say, okay, God, I'm ready. But ultimately, it's His presence. And as we lean into him, we see a good and just God who will guide us in the path we need to go. Joshua 3, 14 through 17. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people, once again representing the presence of God. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. In other words, the water was high, people. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still. 
rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zarethan, the water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah. The Dead Sea was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So Daniel, you read that story last week. No? That was crossing the Red Sea. This is crossing the, into Jordan, right? It's the same story, 40 years apart. Do you understand the significance of this? Because when they were crossing right there in the middle of the Jordan, they crossed on dry ground, just like their ancestors did. But only Joshua and one other spy were able to go into the promised land that were alive. In other words, only two people remembered this journey before. And to every other person crossing, this was a brand new experience. Now, they had heard of God's faithfulness of crossing the Red Sea. Son, there was this day when the God crossed the water, and we watched. But they got to experience it. And I'm wondering if we understand the significance of this moment. Because, see, every generation must encounter the reality of who God is. And the fact is that the same God who allowed them to cross the Red Sea is the same God who allowed them to cross the Jordan, who is the same God that wants to help you walk across your problems onto dry land into the promised land of His presence. It's the same God. But have you experienced that? Have you sensed it? Have you trusted in that? That the remember that God has made away. A couple thoughts on that. What is God rescuing you from? What has He rescued you from? Has He rescued you from a horrible relationship in the past? Has He rescued you from uh, an addiction? Has he rescued you from some habitual sin? Has he rescued you? And all of those things are important. And God will be faithful. But you realize ultimately what he has rescued us from is death. My wife and I were talking about this not too long ago. There was a sermon that we remember from a, a protege of mine named Gary Morgan who really laid it out much better than I can. And I think sometimes we come expecting to encounter God because we want Him to deliver us from whatever pandemic we're going in. Testify, right? But ultimately, what God is rescuing us from is ourselves. Because we were made in the image of God, but somewhere along the line, we died to what God wanted us to do, and we started living for ourselves. And it's so pervasive and so invasive in the way that we think, we don't even realize that we're coming to church and we're coming to God, not really to encounter Him, but because we want to be rescued so we can go back to doing what we want to do. That still leads to death. But God, God looks down on us and He says, child, I love you, and I don't want you to live a life of depravity. I don't want you to live a life of misery. I don't want you to keep banging your head against the same wall day in and day out. Can anybody testify? 
Rather, I'm going to make a way, and his name is Jesus. He is the ultimate rescue story. Once again, Moses, we are not. We are the Israelites who need the presence of God to go before us. We are not Joshua in this story. Joshua is ultimately pointing to Yeshua, Jesus, who would lead us in eternal rescue. Do you see the parallels? And ultimately what we're trying to do is find the presence of God. And so when God brings us through those moments of obstacles, when he brings us through, it's not so we can go back to living life the way that we were living, but it's to encounter his very presence. You were dead. And God rescued you. And sometimes we just need to remember that. We're going to do that next week through communion. But it's also a good time to remind ourselves we need to set aside markers for what God has brought us through and make sure that we tell others of his faithfulness. Joshua 4, 1 through 7. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. After, do you see that? After they crossed, they were through. Choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from the place in the middle of the Jordan, where the priests are standing, and carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the twelve men, and he had selected from the Israelites one man from each tribe, and said to them, Go cross to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder. Uh, those are probably a little bigger than the stone, right? One for each tribe of Israel. So this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you who weren't able to go across that dry land, right? What do these stones mean? You should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. And when it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. We are to show the future generations what the Lord has done and assure them of what he will do. And we want to do that by putting a permanent marker to your story. So in our life, we have the celebrations. The birth of a baby. The wedding, the baptism. The birthday candles. The Instagram picture. All of those can be markers, right? Moments of celebration. But sometimes we need to pause and see God's faithfulness by placing a stone, a marker down that says God has delivered us. And he has delivered us into his presence. So really today's message is really simple. Do you want to go into the true promised land of his presence? Have you seen his faithfulness in doing so? And then can you look back to point to his faithfulness for the future. So today I want to ask you, what are your stones? The markers, the time in which you've seen the presence of God overwhelm you. For me, it was on the side of a road when I watched two students die. On the way home from a fall retreat, I had about 60 college students on the side of Interstate 75 in Kentucky. And some of you have heard this before. I watched one of the students pretty much take his last breath. And in that moment, as I looked out, I, I, I remember that moment so 
very real. I could describe to you the cars and how they were lined up. I can, I can tell you and describe in detail the faces of some of my students who were all looking at me. I, I can remember the smell and almost describe the aroma that I felt. I can tell you the exact temperature. And I remember feeling and thinking as clearly as I can stand here today and remember today. Asking God, where are you? What do I do next? And though I don't wish that on any single person, I remember in that moment a goosebump, chill kind of moment as if I felt like God was wrapping his arms around me and saying to me, I'm here. I've got this. And those two students knew the Lord and they were living with him forever. And that next two weeks, even though it was difficult, I remember God's presence just overwhelming my spirit. You know what we really want to do is we want to get through those moments and not look back. But the reality is after the Israelites got through the river, he sent them back to pick up the stone to mark what God had done. What's your stone? Today, in just a few moments, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to have three songs. And maybe you need to come and write on one of these stones and take one. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to. I'd rather you not do it than fake it. But there's a moment that God has brought you through. Not a, not a birthday moment. Not a wedding moment. But a time in which you felt God has delivered you into his presence through difficult obstacles. The time when he parted the waves and gave you his presence. Then what I would encourage you today is write down the stone. Write down on the stone. For me, it might be the word accident. And then I want you to share your stone with others. Because this stone is indicative of the fact that God is still in the rescue business. Now hear me, no matter what you put on this stone, this stone is only significant because there is a stone that is no longer in front of an empty tomb. And the ultimate stone that represents the freedom is that tomb that is empty. And that stone that was rolled away is why we know that God's presence can be with us both today and tomorrow, from now until forever. Because God is still alive, which means He's still in the rescue business. And He wants to bring you through your difficult valley into His presence, ultimately guiding you and guarding you and pointing you into the way, into the ultimate promised land of eternity. You know how I know He's real? Because God has shown up time and time and time and time again. And I want the next generation to know. So maybe, just maybe today, we as the church can look back through some of the difficult moments of our life. And we could take those moments like the tribes did and begin to stack them up next to each other. 
to build a memorial of God's faithfulness. Now I'd stack this up really high, but it would tumble and fall, and that would be bad. But see, this represents us in so many ways, right? One stone by itself doesn't seem that much, but you build enough of those, you can have a retaining wall. You can have a building. And the stones that we're building on are ultimately the chief cornerstone in what Jesus did through the cross for us. So we want you to share it with the next generation because this is what the church should be like in our small groups. Instead of just saying the good moments, here is how God was faithful through this. Here is what God did through this. And so we're going to give you a chance to write on your marker. And then the ultimate point of this, the daily training, is to share your markers with others. So we want you to put a marker to your stone and then share your marker being the stone with others. So around the dinner table this week, do your kids know of God's faithfulness? Time to tell them some of the hard stories. Maybe you're just with a bunch of college students. Share with them. Maybe, maybe you're in a small group. If you're in a small group, share the story of God's faithfulness. Let it be an encouragement. Let it be a shout out to the nations that God is still doing things because the church isn't ultimately just about trying to collect seashells. We're collecting the stories of God's faithfulness through the valleys of our land. And what we're going to see is the ground is still dry because God is still faithful. Joshua 4, 17 through 19. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up from the Jordan. And when the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan, their feet stepped out on solid ground. And the water of the Jordan resumed its course, flowing over all the banks as before. See, every story has an ending, and every trial has a moment where it will no longer be the obstacle it once was. And in doing so, life may return to normal. And as life returns to normal, it's important that we don't just forget God's faithfulness of the past because it's easy in the routine to put God in a box and say, I'll have you and keep you in case of emergency. In case of emergency, pull here. But no, God wants to breathe faithful in everything. So we set up the markers to remind us to stay faithful in the routine as we're going forward. So, that's it. Put a marker to your story. You're going to get to have three songs today where you get to discuss and try to understand and, and write out on a stone something, a way that God has been faithful to you, and then we want you to share it with the world this week. Don't have anything to put on? Maybe you're in the middle of a big storm right now. That's fine. Sit there and be encouraged by the people who are moving and see the testimonies of the people that are moving saying, God has been faithful to me. Even if you don't see what they write on their marker, on their stone, you can see that their movement is testifying of the faithfulness of God. May this be the church. May we be a testimony of God's faithfulness. As always, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is where it begins. We believe the tomb is empty and Jesus is real and he is here to guide you and guard you. And We'd love to tell you more about that. Join one of the staff members or one of the deacons up front after the service is over. We'd love to talk to you more. As well as if you need just someone to pray, we'd do that. So I'm going to pray for us. And then over the next three songs, if you feel led, go and grab a stone, write on the stone, um, a word to remind you, and then be encouraged to share that this week. God, we are thankful for your faithful love, your provision, and your guidance. 
We're thankful for the testimony of Joshua. The testimony of Ruth, of Esther, of John the Baptist, of Peter, of Martin Luther. We're thankful for the testimony of our ancestors, the people who prayed together to establish a church and gave faithfully so that we could be here today. But God, all of those markers are to point us to the fact that we need you and we need to experience you. So if we haven't done that, may we do that today. And may we be ultimately resting in the fact that you are our promised land. So God, in the middle of the storm, would you part the water and help us to walk on dry ground. And if we're on the other side, help us to pick up a stone to, to mark a memorial of what you've done so that we can know that you'll be faithful in the past, you'll be faithful in the future. That ultimately you're going to bring us into an eternal rest in your presence. So God, here we are now. We bow before you and we ask for you to move and breathe in us today. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.